0: Welcome to Life Point Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do,
1: today is a tough text. for walking through Malachi and as, as Wes said, these don't show up on coffee mugs and t-shirts very often, do they? Well, you've heard it said that Rome was not built in a day. And it turns out it wasn't destroyed in a day either, was it? how did one of the greatest empires, the Roman Empire in entire history fall and decline? That feels like a relevant question to you, people living in the United States today. Pretty great country. How did Rome fall? There's one commentator, Michael Frys, cites the historian Edward Gibbon, who wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's like a six volume work, it's huge. I have not read it. (laughs) He points out, he, he gets at this thesis, how did Rome fall? And his point was that the battle was not external, but internal. He argues that Rome imploded within its own walls. And one of the main themes for why the great Roman Empire fell was this core issue, unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness, great Roman Empire imploding from within. He cites five reasons and two of them are relevant for our text today. He says that unfaithfulness was rampant. Trust between people in society began to erode the very fabric of society and they began to unravel. Divorce was skyrocketing and shattering the bedrock foundation of society, the family unit. And this compounded over generations, not in one day, but many days. Rome was destroyed. People were also unfaithful in religion. They began to abandon genuine Christian faith for this exterior, political veneer of cultural Christianity. The Romans were showing up to church and their lives were falling apart behind the scenes. None of this could be relevant to the United States today, could it? They say Rome was not built in a day, but it wasn't destroyed in a day either. Unfaithfulness. The reality is societies are built on faithfulness. And I'm using this word here. You could say by that word faithfulness, I mean at its most fundamental level, I mean just simple trust, making promises. Our society is built on this. You could not function without faithfulness in the culture today. You could make it to church. You needed faithfulness in order to drive to church this morning You needed faithfulness in order to order a pizza online and share your credit card, to go to the ATM and pull money out of the bank, to even call a loved one or a family member and to know they would answer, you need faithfulness. Think about it conversely, this this helps. Think about it the other way. What if rampant unfaithfulness and distrust was the norm of our society today? It touches everything. You wouldn't be here this morning at church because as you drove in, everyone else in society, a society of unfaithfulness, is ignoring the lines. Who cares? And in fact, red lights, that's a suggestion. I'm blasting through because the me first society says, I don't have to make any promise to you that I'm going to stop at this red light. It's me first. Do you see how Society breaks down, it doesn't function. It's the reason why if you try to order that pizza and you share your credit card information, you just made a promise that you won't see mysterious charges on your bank statement the next morning. It's the reason why you get to go to the bank and put in your pin number and pull money out of your bank account. And can you imagine, a society with unfaithfulness rampant, you would go to the ATM, there wouldn't be any money, none. And in a society of unfaithfulness, you would call a loved one and they would never pick up. No trust, no promise. We have these contracts, these mini covenants woven through the fabric of everyday life, don't we? It's all over the place. So what happens in a society when unfaithfulness goes completely unchecked? This is the context that we approach today in Malachi. If you remember the history of God's people, they were exiled to Babylon and they had begun returning back to the promised land. But it was a different society. It had been crumbled down like the Roman Empire and they were trying to build it back up. Remember the context, this is like the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. They're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the walls, they're trying to rebuild society and some of that trust again. And by the time Malachi comes along, this, this baby little society is not doing well again. Unfaithfulness is rampant. And Malachi, as God's mouthpiece, as a prophet, he's throwing down. He's not pulling punches, is he? And he is calling out the people's unfaithfulness before a forever faithful God. So I want to I see this applied in three different spheres this morning. We see unfaithfulness of these people with one another. They're unfaithful toward God in his commands. And they're unfaithful towards their spouses in marriage. This is our three categories or spheres we're going to look at today. So have the text open with you with me, we're in Malachi 2, starting in verse 10. First sphere, the people were unfaithful with one another. See it in verse 10, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Notice the emphasis on one. Why then are we, and here's our word, faithless, unfaithful, breaking promises, not good on our word. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? There's a word here that we don't use often that needs definition, and it's the word covenant. If you've been around the church, maybe you've heard that before. It shows up 270 times in the Old Testament. It's a pretty important theme. And at its most fundamental level, if you define covenant very broadly, it's basically just an agreement between two parties, which sounds like to our modern ear in America like a contract, but it's more than a contract, much more than a contract. A covenant is a pledge. It's a promise of oneself. And often the covenants would be accompanied by obligations of both parties, but the one making the pledge would make it accompanied with signs and they would even define what would happen to them if they did not fulfill the covenant. Often that consequence was death. I'm going to fulfill this pledge. And, and God is a covenant God. God. He's been this way from the very beginning. At the most fundamental level, a covenant in its rudimentary form with God is this. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the covenant at its most basic form throughout the beginning. Think about it in Genesis, he creates humanity and he's saying when he creates him, look, I made you, I will be your God, you be my people, follow me, be in communion with me. And from the very beginning, this covenant was broken because of sin. God was faithful, Adam and Eve were faithless. They broke his rules, they rebelled against him and every covenant thereafter continues the pattern. (laughs) You go to Abraham and God makes the Abrahamic covenant and God is faithful and the families of the people of God are a mess. And then you go to Moses and he makes the Mosaic covenant and he says, look, this is what it means to be my people. Here's my 10 commandments. If you're my people, these are how, this is how my people function. This is how you behave. And he gives them the 10 commandments and they fail. The covenant but God is faithful, and you go to David, you think you're gonna have these great kings, and then by Solomon, it all goes pretty bad. Over and over and over, this is the story of the Bible, a covenant-keeping, faithful God to a people who are faithless, over and over. God initiates, he sets the terms, and he always upholds his end of the deal. So when he calls out unfaithfulness between one another, it's a problem. But you might say, well, why is that such a big deal? Why is it, you know, the people of God breaking their word with one another, why is that being condemned so harshly? We have two reasons, two reasons. Why is that a problem? First, it dishonors God. When we fail to keep our promises with other people, we dishonor God, we belittle him, by saying, I don't trust God to care for me by keeping his commandments, I'll have to take this into my own hands. I'll give, I'll give one illustration. Take one of the 10 commandments. Honor your father and mother. And you're, you're growing older, and it turns out as you're growing older, your parents are growing older, and they get older and older, and your life's busy, and you're pretty important with your career, but your parents are becoming a bit of a drag. In fact, they're really needy, really needy, and they're expensive, and you're caring for them, in the nursing home, you're doing your best, you're trying to and eventually, you just say, you know what, forget, I can't do this. It's just too much. I can't care for you anymore, and you abandon the parents that raised you. What you're saying to God is, God, I know you've commanded me to honor my father and mother, but you're not trustworthy enough. You're not big enough for me to fulfill my commitment to you. I'm gonna have to take it another way. This belittles God. It dishonors him and shows our lack of trust in him. Reason number one, we need to keep our commitments to one another is it dishonors God. Reason number two, the trajectory of the Christian life is that we would mature and ultimately become more like Jesus. In fact, that's how we define it here at Life Point Church. Our measure of success as a church is are we helping people like me and you become more like Jesus? And because our God is a God, we just sang about him. Great is thy faithfulness. If we're to be more like him, then not being faithful is a problem. We're not representing Christ well. Another way to say it is this. Christians. Christians should be the most reliable humans on the planet Earth. Not because we're great, but because as we learn and grow and mature, we become more like our great, faithful promise keeping God. That's why. Two reasons this is a problem. One, it dishonors God and two, we need to be more like God. So we should be covenant keepers too. The first sphere that Malachi addresses, we haven't even gotten to the other ones. It's all people. Commitments you make every single day. So I'm, I'm talking to Christians who have business relationships with somebody else. I'm talking to Christians who are making a commitment to family members who are growing older or children who need parenting or grandchildren who need support. All kinds of commitments in the Christian life, even as simple as a Christian who makes a promise of when you'll show up. Hey, I'll be there are you one of those who's dependable because as james 5:12 says let your yes be yes and your no be no that's not just good advice and it's not just helpful to be able to start meetings on time although that's useful show up james says it's because this is the god we represent how can we worship great is thy faithfulness and go walk around breaking promises and our word over and over again. So I I asked this this morning pointedly, I'm going to follow the tone of the text. This isn't a super fun, happy text is it? So I'm not going to make you laugh much, Jim. I'm sorry. I'm trying This is a hard text and I want to follow the tone of the text. I want to ask, how are your commitments? How are you representing God by being like Him to other people? Are you faithful? We serve a forever faithful God. Rome was not built in a day, and neither was it destroyed in a day. So, what's Malachi's word then? See, it's slow. One day at a time, you're just chipping away at your word, your character, representing Christ. One day at a time, Rome's falling and so is your reputation. What does Malachi say in verse 15 then? He says, guard yourselves in your spirit. That word guard is sometimes translated watch, pay attention, look at how you're living your life. Watch carefully what you say yes to and how you follow through and what you say no to and how you follow through. Guard yourselves because Rome wasn't destroyed in a day. Sphere one, your commitments to people. Sphere two, your commitment to God and his commands and specifically one command, marrying unbelievers. See it in the text with me. Verse 11, verse 11. We're going way back in time. Let's go to their context. Judah has been faithless. There it is again, unfaithful. And abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. These are synonyms. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And why? How did they do that? So they're showing up to worship. They got the religious veneer, they're bringing their cattle. And you remember from a couple of weeks ago, it's like that blemished cattle It's like the sickly one anyways, but they're trying to put up the religious front. They're showing up to church, perfect attendance, but what's the problem and has married the daughter of a foreign God. And we got to go back in time a little bit here. Cause this kind of sounds funky to our modern ears, doesn't it? What's the problem? Marrying the daughter of a foreign God. When God called his people in this covenant, calls out Abraham, he chose him, he says, you'll be my people. He said, I wanna make you holy and distinct. I'm gonna set you apart from the other people of the world. And I'm gonna bless you through your seed, generation after generation after generation with godly seed. But part of that distinction, back in Deuteronomy, God commands that they would be set apart, that they would not marry women who worshiped other gods. And we're not talking about like women who converted and came over and joined their side. We're talking about like a marriage of I worship Yahweh and you worship this cute little thing that sits on our dining room table. That's what's happening. And in fact, in this particular context, think about it. They've been exiled to Babylon. You talk about how hard it is to maintain a sense of cultural identity as the people of God when you're living in Babylon. People are speaking different languages. They're using dineros and other kind of money that you don't really understand. And then they wander back and their land's been taken up. And likely there's a temptation because you married at probably around like 13. They married way younger. And you came back with the wife of your youth, who's a Jew, but you come back and there's some other ladies in town. And you know what, those other ladies in town have dads who own a lot of property in town. And if I just left her and married her, I could get some land. And this is likely some of the context of what was happening in this particular time. They're leaving the wife of their youth, they're marrying, divorcing her, and it's related to sphere number three, divorcing them and then marrying someone who's a foreigner. And the problem with this It's not that it was wrong to marry them because they were such bad people or something. It was because of the temptation to wander from being faithful to God and worshiping their false gods. That's the problem. Didn't we see this with Solomon? Remember, we were hitting strong with David for a while. He had pretty Terrible failure as well. But then you came to Solomon, and Solomon's doing great, and he's got riches and wealth and wisdom, and it's like the peak of the kingdom. Solomon's problem is he liked ladies a lot, a lot of ladies, and he married a lot of them. And all these ladies, a lot of them were for political reasons too. They were daughters of a foreign king. Hey, let's make a treaty. I'll throw a ring on it. We'll be married. And what happened slowly is that Solomon's full-heartedness towards God became half-hearted. And he started losing faithfulness to the one true God. He was compromised. This is the issue in the Old Testament. Well, good thing that's the Old Testament. What a bunch of garbage that is. That doesn't apply today. Oh, shoot. (laughs) And then there's Paul. Forgot about this one. Okay, so it does apply in the New Testament. Look what Paul says. Ah. So close here, 2 Corinthians 6.14. This is New Testament. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? Oh man, got us. Still there. Why? Come on, we're compatible. We have the same hobbies. We have the same interests. She looks good. Come on. <laughs> Let's get married. What's the problem? Here, here's the problem. In our culture, we take religion in the pie of who you are and we make it a slice. We compartmentalize it. And we say, look, we're compatible in every other way, but like I'm a Christian and she's not, but that's cool. Cause it's just like a slice of my life. You know, and that's not how it works. Like light and darkness or oil and water, following Christ as a Christian means your whole worldview is oriented around Jesus. He is the lens through which you see everything, all of life. It's not a slice of the pie, it is the pie. So when you join someone who has one worldview and another who has a different worldview, how do you, how do you function as one? You, you have different worldview perspectives on how to steward your finances. What's the point of money? You have different worldview perspective on how you're going to raise children. You throw kids into that, it gets more complicated. what's, What's the point of parenting? What's the aim and goal that we're moving these kids towards? What's the meaning of marriage itself? Why does our marriage exist? Is it just so that we can be happy and not lonely in life? Because that's the secular worldview. And the Christian perspective is radically different. We exist to honor Christ. We're, we're the image of Christ in his church, showing that faithfulness embodied in two people, in union because of God. You, you see, oil and water. And so, Malachi calls it out and Paul does too. He says, do not be unequally yoked. So I wanna speak to a couple people today. First, Notice what this text does not say. There's some in this room right now, you're saying, I think that's my marriage. I think I'm unequally yoked. What do I do? Notice what he doesn't say. He does not say, get out of that marriage. In fact, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 7. So if that's your issue, look at 1 Corinthians 7. The church in Corinth was going that direction. Paul says, hold on, put on the brakes. No, 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 no. Stay in your marriage. You've made a covenant, you've made a contract, you stay in that. Don't get out. So if you're in that situation, stay. If you are looking to get married, and I wanna to talk to all people. You're, you're single, um, maybe you're widowed, you're looking to get remarried. I'm talking to parents and grandparents of kids that one day wanna get married. I'm talking to little kids, little kids. You, you're gonna remember one day the really long, talking, boring pastor. <laughs> you were zoning out and trying to color And here he is, I'm looking at you, and I'm telling you, if you want to follow Jesus, find someone who wants to follow him too. Marry that person. But don't get yoked with someone who doesn't want to follow Christ. Maybe you remember that, I don't know. Sphere two, light and darkness, oil and water, people of God were faithless. Rome wasn't destroyed in a day. One little compromise of faithfulness at a time. Yeah, I was gonna do that, but she's cute, You're really cute, and she makes me laugh, and we have a lot of the same interests. And suddenly, Rome starts getting destroyed one little compromise at a time. Malachi says, Rome wasn't destroyed in a day, so guard your hearts. Guard yourselves. Watch the way you live. And this is warning to us today. First, our commitments to one another. Second, our commitment to God to keep his commands. And third sphere, our commitments to our spouses. Our spouses. See the third area applied here. We're starting in verse 13. And this second thing you do, my count's three. I counted three. Sorry, Malachi, but maybe, okay, second. Second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So the context is these men that are showing up to worship and they're going after it. I mean, they're singing loud. They're out singing the people with microphones. They're taking over on the stage. They're like, I'm a worshiper. And it's this religious veneer that underneath is the hypocrisy of moral corruption. And so God calls him out. He says, you're weeping and wailing because you haven't experienced my blessing. And they have this rhetorical conversation, but you say, why does he not, why isn't he blessing me? I'm singing. Because listen to this, the Lord was witness. We're coming back to that witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless. There it is again. You've been unfaithful. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. There's that word again. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Once again, the grounds for remaining faithful in marriage is not just because it'll help society function. Although that's true. That's a good thing. It's not just because it'll help the family unit and help your offspring. It's not just because there's some cool tax benefits, although that's true. It's nice. It's because marriage is God's idea. It's his design. He creates it. That's why Malachi starts in verse 10. He says, has not one God created us? He's pointing back to the foundation in Genesis and he's saying, God's your maker and he's the maker of marriage itself. Go back to the garden, Genesis two twenty four. He says, for a man will leave his father and mother and he will cleave himself. He will remain steadfast and faithful to his bride. Hold fast, that's covenant language. That's not convenient contract and when you become inconvenient, we break it. It's covenant. They shall become one flesh. He lays the groundwork from the very foundation because God's the one who defines it. He defines what it's not and how it should play out. One man, one woman making a permanent covenant together for life, this is God's design for marriage. But it's emphasized by something that stings here. Did you see it? Verse 14, I pointed it out. The Lord was witness between you and your youth. I had a fantastic wedding day. Everything came together. Lots of planning, none of it, credit to me. My wife's smiling at home, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, the ceremony came together. We had great musicians, we were great friends, music, flat, everything, it was perfect. It was kinda hot, but it was a great day, right? And we get to the end, we've had this great party and reception and, and the music's died off. People are beginning to leave. And uh, we're there with a remnant, and we, we forgot one tiny detail: the marriage certificate. And I'm a buy-the-book kind of guy. So I want to get this thing signed tonight." Except our pastor had already left. Dr. Hank was well on his way to the airport, and so we're calling the pastor to say, "Hey, we forgot one minor detail. It's kind of the whole point of why we gathered. Is this document? Could you run back and sign it? And the the real issue was everybody's leaving. They want to leave. It's late at night, but you know who we needed to stay? Witnesses. We needed witnesses. So finally, Dr. Hank shows up. We're in the lobby of this area on this weird little table, and everybody's watching us awkwardly sign this thing. We're figuring that out on the fly. We're like, you're a witness? Okay, good. You got to sign here, and you're a witness, and you got to sign here. You need witnesses. Do you know why? Today, in a modern society, you still need Witnesses. It's because even today, your government recognizes this is not a private contract between you and someone else. Just something you do in private. And if both of you agree that those terms don't work for you anymore, then you can break the private contract. And the only damage is between you two. No, no, no. Even today, this is a public covenant. That's why you need witnesses Those people are there to ratify and verify. We are witnesses. We watch that man give vows and that woman give vows that they would be faithful to one another till death do us part and society's watching. We're depending on you to be a family unit. It's not a private thing, it's a public thing but it goes even further than that. That's just a modern marriage. Do you know there's one signature that doesn't show up on any Colorado marriage certificate, but should be there? It's God's. That's why Malachi says, God was there. He witnessed your covenant that you made to your wife. His line, his signature, it's right there on the line of the marriage certificate. And he's, did you see the emphasis he's making? God brought you together. It's his idea, his union to becoming one. The very word for companion here in the Hebrew, one scholar, he points it out, he says it was used to describe structural pieces of a building like concrete coming together, permanently joined, one very difficult to ever separate and only does damage when you break that thing apart. It's sadly our culture today, I don't have to argue for this very much, do I? I think our American culture says divorce is actually a first option, not a last resort. That's our culture. It's not that different than a culture 2,000 and some years ago. It's really similar, isn't it? And Malachi says, be faithful. Once again, we could say, oh, this is just some old, dusty, Old Testament thing, but then Jesus came along and he said the same thing. In fact, some of the rabbis at the time had created sort of extra biblical rules, basically helping these Jewish men get out of a marriage for almost any reason. She sneezed, I'm out. And the rabbis, the Pharisees come and they ask Jesus, hey, can't a man divorce for any reason? You know what jesus says he goes back to genesis he says the same thing malachi does god the maker designed this thing he created the two that they would become one flesh this comes up in several places but let's go matthew 19 is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause and he says because your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another and commits adultery. Jesus, again, here we are in the New Testament, he has a high value and standard for the covenant of marriage. It's not just a contract, it's a covenant. Now a couple things need to be said. I'm, right, I'm stepping right into the middle of it, aren't I? Jesus does give an exception and he recognizes the reality of a sinful world that we live in because of sexual immorality. He permits it here clearly as a last resort, not the first option. If you're here and you're looking for an out, God's design is still even when your spouse is unfaithful to you. How much more do you represent the God of faithfulness when you choose the long, terrible, hard path of forgiveness and grace and you stand with them? How much more does that testify to the greatness of God? This is, this is the, the push from God towards keeping this. I wanna speak to a lot of different people in the room and I'm running out of time. I wanna speak to a few though. Maybe you're here, you're looking for marriage. You're interested in that. Do not take it lightly. God will sign on your marriage certificate. I wanna encourage you, a practical application, get some counseling. You should get premarital counseling. No one should get married without premarital counseling. There's a sweet couple in their 80s that's getting married soon. They're going through premarital counseling as they should. Both widows. This is some advice. Two, maybe you're married and struggling. I wanna speak to you. Your your marriage is on the rocks this morning. You're burning right now. And I wanna speak with compassion to say, God as witness, stay faithful. Do the hard thing, and if you need help from the community of believers here, from our pastors, we wanna help you remain faithful. Three, maybe you're divorced here, and maybe you had a, a biblically permitted divorce here. Maybe you're looking back in your divorce, and you're saying, I don't think that was biblically permitted. Regardless, there is not an unforgivable sin, and you don't carry a scarlet D around your neck. So seek God's forgiveness, receive it, and then walk in his forgiveness and grace because he's a faithful God. Who else should I talk to? Maybe you remarried today and you, you recognize maybe that previous divorce wasn't legit. Stay in that marriage. Do not break another covenant to go try and fix another one. Remain faithful. There's, there's more. I know I'm missing a bunch. Helpfully, our elders many years ago created a document, a position paper on marriage and divorce, and it's thorough, more thorough than I can be this morning. If you need that, I've got a few copies available, or just write it down on your communication card. I'll make sure you get it to you digitally as well. There's more resources there. Rome was not destroyed in a day. And Malachi says then, guard yourselves in your spirit. Watch carefully how you walk. Do not be faithless in your marriage because we serve a forever faithful God. God has always been faithful. As we turn to communion, I wanna remind us of his covenantal faithfulness. He's always been faithful. (laughs) From the garden, I will be your God, you will be my people, to Noah and the rainbow, to the promised seed of Abraham, to the law of Moses, to the king rule of of David, over and over, God was faithful, we've been faithless. So God did something new. He came and he made a new covenant. And this mysterious guy started walking around, Jesus. (laughs) And he fulfilled every one of those covenants on our behalf. Think about it, the old Mosaic Covenant, the law that we failed to fulfill, Christ walked in perfect obedience on our behalf, fulfilling that law. We were disobedient, he was perfectly obedient. And that's why Jesus could gather his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and hold up a cup and say, attention, attention. Look, this cup, this cup represents the new covenant of my blood. My blood's gonna be shed and poured out like the wine in this cup for you. I'm gonna uphold your end of the deal that you never could so that you could have right relationship with God the Father in a covenant, blessed relationship with him. By grace, you have been saved through faith, through Jesus Christ. So as we turn to communion, let's, remember and celebrate this new covenant that we have and, and I'll invite us to turn in prayer and repentance right now for the ways that we've been faithless and seek God and his help to be faithful. Take a moment, bow your heads, and let's pray together. Jesus, we celebrate you. We celebrate you. You were faithful through and through every moment of your life perfectly obedient, submitting to the will of the Father and dying in our place, taking the death that we deserve, the due penalty for our failure to keep up our end of the deal, and you paid the price on our behalf. So Jesus, it's you, we celebrate, we thank you, we praise you for being faithful on our behalf. And God, we ask in in true repentance, would you help us now by your spirit turn from our unfaithful ways and respond to be more like Jesus with great faithfulness, trusting and depending on your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
0: That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.